Three, two, one, and we're live. Uh, welcome to another episode of Hot Coffee Consulting. This morning, I'm joined by Amy Fox, who's Product Director at Bliss. Welcome, Amy. Hi. Um, and we're going to dig into a couple of things uh, in today's session. One, I think, is just an overarching view on Bliss as a business and what you guys do. I think that'd be really interesting. And then, um, coincidentally, uh, there's a Digital Day article that came out a couple of days ago um, that spoke about location data specifically and uh, that entire ecosystem. We'd had this booked in for a couple of weeks, so it is a happy coincidence, but I thought, seeing as you're here, we dig into that a little bit, unpack it, and figure out whether or not that article is, uh, is, is accurate, whether or not there are providers in the marketplace, such as Bliss, that are doing anything about the location data ecosystem. So. That's it. Sounds good. Yeah, cracking. <laughs> so, talk to me a little bit about you and your role and uh, how you came to Bliss. Gosh, I have uh, been working at Bliss for seven years, or just over seven years, so a very long time. I was very fortunate to get an internship there when I was much younger, out straight, straight out of university, and I have grown with the business um, over the last seven years. And we were only really ten people when I joined. Don't usually find that kind of loyalty. I know. It's, I know. It's a very long time. There's about 200, 250 of us now globally, so you know a huge amount of expansion and growth over the last seven years, and I think probably that's what keeps everything interesting is because every year the business is evolving and changing what we're doing. We've got new markets to tackle, and you know the roles changing almost every every other day. Um, challenges and, and obviously benefits of that. Uh, I I run the product department, so I focus on helping the business look at what we should be doing both today and in the next six to 12 months, uh, focusing on, I guess, both what to do and what not to do, uh, which is very difficult in this industry because there's obviously a lot of moving parts and you always want to be involved in all of them. So, you know, one of the things that we have to try and do is hone our focus in on what really, really matters to us and what we can bring to our clients that's exciting or different. Um, which makes sense because, I mean, it's been a while now, but when I was working on uh, the SaaS side of the business, locally in their data management platform, one of the biggest things that we had to contend with was the limited resources that we had uh, and matching that off against the almost unlimited requirements of the market and like you said, figuring out what you wanted to do and how you wanted to invest your time uh, and what you would uh, you know, potentially sacrifice the opportunity cost of doing that. Yeah, and that's never an easy decision, is it? And I think you know, what Bliss has always done is from you know before I joined even Bliss was always a, a location business that's all a location technology company uh, back in the day maybe 10 years ago we were pre-me were sort of focused around Bluetooth when Bluetooth was big mm-hmm. uh, when smartphones were not as big and when RTB and open market buying wasn't big uh, when the data industry was probably nothing like it is today uh, but it was all about for example hyperlocal advertising which was around bus stops and Bluetooth ships being inside bus stop billboards and being able to tie together mobile phone behavior with bus stop billboards in a very antiquated way now technology speaking but you know that's that's almost when even when I joined that was always our, our bread and butter and I think that's what's helped us throughout the last few years is evolve around what our product offerings are and how we help clients and how we can position something but fundamentally at the core of our technology is always that the ability to locate or understand how location technology works and understand where consumers are and how to use that data in a way that's responsible, that's, that's useful, how to clean it, how to scale it, etc. So how does that then manifest into uh, those different products and services that are currently available 
in the market today? What's Bliss's main uh, line of business? So we've evolved quite a lot over the years. I mean, we, we started up very heavily in the uh, media space, advertising ecosystem. We built our own DSP technology a long time ago and um, have been delivering uh, campaigns for clients uh, and, de- and deals for clients for you know, probably since day one. Uh, we've evolved now into a data business as well. So we work both on the media ecosystem and the data ecosystem. So we sell data, we sell media. We try to be fairly agnostic with what we do. What we do do that's common across both is we sell location data and location media or location powered media. And so let's talk a little bit about one of your core solutions, which is uh, focused on uh, the collection, but then the normalization and cleaning of uh, different location signals that you may receive uh, from the market. Because we had a conversation about this uh, several weeks ago and I found it incredibly interesting. I'm thinking about where best to start <laughs> because there's so much that you could uh, you know, pack into this discussion, but maybe if you could just give a really high-level overview on how uh, you and other location data providers receive some of these location-based signals from publishers, uh, and then we can maybe go from there. Yeah. So I think, you know, I'll go back to the very bottom end of the funnel, which is where data is generated in the first place. So, you know, all all location data is generated largely by mobile phones out on the move making sense. Uh, largely the data, the most valuable data in the market is GPS source data, the data that's, that's fueling, you know, your everyday Uber, your Google Maps accounts, etc. So the most accurate form of being able to geolocate somebody is GPS data. Most other sources of data are nowhere near as accurate or not quite good enough for, for hyperlocal, so to speak. So um, it goes right back to sort of what people are doing with their phones when they're out and about. Uh, GPS chips, for example, don't even exist inside laptops. So it's not really a thing in the laptop desktop system and you're never going to get your desktop out with you so makes sense um, and I guess that technology is embedded inside the mobile phone and, and then you get to the relationship between the mobile phone and the individual apps and publishers that are on the phone and which apps and which publishers have permission to or to not to use location data in. and that's a really really important factor here because uh, you anyone as a consumer you as a consumer when you download a new app on your phone say you download a um, train line the very first time you do it, you have to give an app permission to use your location data or not. If you choose not to allow it to use it, then the, the app or the publisher has absolutely no uh, right or technical permission to query the GPS chip in your phone. They're essentially denying them the ability to do that, mm-hmm. which is, is really important because when that happens, then that publisher can't really partake in share, selling and passing on data, etc. Um, it's generally much wider spread in the app ecosystem and that's not really a technical restriction, but it's due to the fact that in-app, the way that in-apps behave with consumers is you, you, you ask that question, can I use your location data one time, in my train line example, yeah. and you say yes, and then your app in its walled garden mode remembers your settings for the rest of its ecosystem, unless you, you know, down, you know, cancel the app and download it again, largely every time you use it, it will remember those settings and keep it consistent. If you go onto a browser like Safari or Chrome, and you go to trainline.com, you'll get the same behavior, you'll get prompted with a, a pop-up saying, can I use your location, yes or no? And then because, because of how short the lifespan of a cookie is and how they can't remember you across browsers, the next time you go onto that page again, it will re-prompt you and re-ask you for that information. So what we, tra- what we tend to find is not very much location data generated from mobile web traffic, and I think largely because unless they have to, publishers don't want to be interrupting your journey by prompting you every five minutes. So... It's, very, it's become a very uh, heavily in-app based um, 
data source just because of the convenience and obviously the usage of app is is very very heavy now especially for things like travel and weather apps and dating apps where there's a huge amount of location data available uh, and then how do those um, individual app publishers pass those location signals how are you collecting those different location signals in the business so different businesses do different things there, there are two types of um, SDKs or software development kits which is essentially a bit of code that can sit inside an app that does normally both the advertising and also the data collecting data sharing in the background for the app there are I mean there are hundreds and thousands of apps in the ecosystem so largely people don't try to unless they have relationships in particular markets tackle every single uh, have a relationship directly with every single publisher one at a time it's a difficult challenge to scale so the two types of SDKs that generally speaking are out there are foreground SDKs and background SDKs the subtle difference between them, a foreground SDK is one that, as you're using the phone, is using your location data to better hone the usage of your phone. So, you know, the train line might be one. They don't really need to know where you are until you actually open the screen to say, oh, sign my nearest train station, yeah. etc. cetera. Uh, that means that as you're using the phone, as you're interacting with it, it, the phone will have permission to collect your location data that you're using in the background and then use that for whatever purposes you've signed up to. So whether it's to sell data to better hone your advertising or whether it's for different purposes that that varies by publisher. Um, a background SDK is slightly different. Um, you've probably, depending if you use Android or iOS, seen that some publishers ask you if they can use your location data all the time when when your phone isn't um, when your phone's in the pocket or away. The app has to be open. It's one of the restrictions. So obviously, if you if you close your apps, which some people do religiously, yeah. they never ever do. So <laughs> probably really guilty of passing data all over the place, but they will continuously pass data at regular intervals in the background, even when your phone's in the pocket. So different sort of data collection technologies, and generally speaking, how you integrate with those two data sources is slightly different. Um, you can work with, obviously, publishers directly. We at Bliss have our own SDK. A lot of companies in the location data space do. Uh, that would basically mean we will proactively go out to major publishers in the different markets we're interested in, especially the data publishers, so ones that pass good location data and, and say to them, look, we want to be part of, we want to partner with you, we want to buy data from you. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case, there's a sort of fairly long sales cycle of, of trying to convince the publishers that, that it will work both ways, and then they have to embed our SDK inside their ecosystem. So a lot of these different location signals are collected via an SDK directly on the publisher app. Some are also passed as I understand it, through bitstream information. Yes, I mean, they, they're at, you can receive data in different ways. You can receive data from partnerships as well, so not always SDK partners. There are, um, are so there used to be beacon networks, but now they're, they're sort of location aggregating networks who partner with publishers directly, and they act as a middle, a middle man. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll, they'll largely, you know, they've done all the hard work of, of integrating with the partners locally. You just have a partnership with that and then they'll pass you the data on a daily basis or on a monthly basis, however you need to use it for. Um, then you can also receive data directly from the advertising ecosystem. So I think the value in, in the bid stream or in the advertising side of things is that the data that comes through your systems is real time and it's coming through you know, immediately in, in milliseconds almost. So you know, to make a buying decision, if you think about the buying side of the industry, about I want to serve an ad to someone because they happen to be just around the corner from McDonald's right now, in order to make that decision, you largely have to have that piece of information come through in real time. Yep. The only way that can really happen is if you're getting the data through the bid stream, which is feeding into your buying opportunities in, in real time. So, very valuable. So you've got these different 
ways of passing uh, of collecting and then passing audience uh, signals, location signals. Um, you as a, an organization collect a lot of these different signals uh, and then use those signals to create uh, data segmentation opportunities or media buying opportunities. But before you do that, there's a process, uh, I believe, that you undertake to help to clean uh, and to help to remove a lot of the um, so-called fraudulent or non-legitimate location-based signals, uh, which I believe that process has a name, but I... Uh, yes, we call it smart pen, but bless, uh, because it's smart pen, really. <laughs> um, a lot of, most location technology companies will have something like this, or should at least have something like this, otherwise I would be really concerned. And I get, it's interesting, so whatever source you're buying data from, Unfortunately, there are always players in the market who have understood that there's a lot of value in data, in location data in particular. I know that you know, an average CPM for an inbound request with location data attached to it can be almost double that one without. So the location industry in general, the audience segmentation industry, has really boomed over the last few years, and naturally so has then the value attached to that. And that's just because people on the buy side are particularly interested in targeting, uh, and acquiring impressions that are somewhat focus towards a particular yeah location. I think so. and I think people's I think uh, you know location used to be all about what we we commonly call proximity which is oh I'm near a store right now and I think the idea that someone's walking around Tesco's and they're served in there for Sainsbury saying actually you know um, you know a loaf of bread is, is 3p cheaper in Sainsbury put your basket down and come next door right now I think that's probably how it all started and I think people have evolved away from that mm-hmm. concept now and they've realized that location can be used to bundle up audience behaviors over time and you can see some really you know you can get some really interesting profiles for example i've got a pool of, of consumers who go to arsenal football stadium every other weekend so i know that they're you know season ticket holders they're they whatever keen uh, fans i also know that they go to a gym three times a week or at least some kind of fitness center three times a week which means not only are they a football fan but they're fit young healthy football fan so i'm going to target them with a nike sports boot because actually they're the kind of person that unlike the the older man who goes to Arsenal Football Stadium and then goes to the pub five times a week rather than the gym, maybe not as interested in a, in a football boot. So you're kind of balancing off that real-time uh, yeah. proximity with uh, a more temporal... With what you can do with it over time. And I think that's where the demand's really grown, is, is people understanding that actually what you can do with the data in terms of looking at it over time, looking at what people are doing you know, over, over a longer period of time and chopped and changed in different ways has made it much more exciting in the industry. So it means the demand has grown but fundamentally still being fueled by this core core location data coming in the first place. And I guess going back to your original question is, so why do we need to have location validation technology or filtration techniques is because there are companies, whether by, there are publishers and apps that whether by accident because they haven't quite understood the impact of not doing it correctly or whether they're deliberately doing it because they know they'll get more revenue from it, are trying to sell data that looks a lot like location data, but they haven't sourced it from a GPS chip in a phone. So it's been sourced via a different methodology that then they are just sort of saying, well, actually, I'm going to try and sell this out of GPS data and see if somebody notices that that's what it is. And um, just in terms of rough percentages, in terms of what you guys filter out versus what you keep as valid data, what does that look like? It's pretty It's pretty big. I mean, the digital article you were talking about at the beginning is, is pretty accurate. It varies a lot by market, varies a lot by different... Um, even day of the week, like it changes all the time. But we see it floating from 50% up to 80% of bad data coming into the ecosystem. Um, the good data is definitely made up of a much smaller portion. And I think what we tend to find, I mean, so at, on our side, we've built a, um, a pattern matching 
technology or algorithm that is what we call smart pin that essentially just looks for all of the inbound data coming over the previous, say, 14 days. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what everybody in theory will be doing, but different sort of variations of it. And it looks for single publishers or apps sending us patterns of data that don't really reflect what GPS should. And GPS is, is just normal human behavior. So you, know, you and I, we live you know, outside of London. We travel into London every day. We travel back out at the end of every day. And that pattern of movement in terms of major cities being hotter during the day and, and weekend should be reflected in the data. That's what humans are doing. We're not you know, robots. But sometimes what you get is data forming really, really strange patterns in terms of time. So you see sort of exactly the same amount of delivery or, or data coming through every hour of the day, which is a little bit weird because I sleep a few hours a day. Yeah. Hopefully everyone does. Um, you sometimes see patterns, so data coming in and forming really lovely grid shape patterns. So people seem to only be moving in straight lines around London, which again is... These are kind of visual patterns. They, are, they actually are, yeah, they're, uh, very commonly grid patterns are used by third parties. So the way that somebody or the way that a publisher would try to guesstimate where you are, they wouldn't normally do it themselves. From what I understand, they don't really have that kind of technology. They'll partner with a third party um, IT, IP database. And what they'll basically do is say, well, here's the IP address of the person who's I'm about to send the signal for. Do you have any idea where they could be? And that third party IP database will essentially guesstimate or they'll do to their best efforts try and work out where you are and I mean depending on the type of IP address you're using if you're if you're on your 3G browser and you're just wandering around using that 3G's IP addresses are constantly cycled and moved and changed around um, different consumers they're never consistent to a single phone so there's no way anybody could know even your provider you know from your IP address cannot know where you are at any given time so these third party IP networks they largely guess so you know one example might be one major telco's headquarters might be in Birmingham and all their servers might be in Birmingham in a big warehouse. They might just go, yeah, this is the point we think this consumer's in. They're in this Birmingham server unit store. So it's it's not in this, it, you know, that's, that's an example of how unaccurate it could be. That's the very far end of the spectrum. And then what sometimes they try and do is they, they draw a, a grid pattern across, say, the, country, the whole of the UK, and they try and work out where they think you are nearest, which point. Again, it's at best accurate to two, three, four hundred meters, uh, which if you think about a London high street, two, three hundred meters is, you know, one tube stop to another. It's not you know, a gambling shop to a five-star hotel. There's a huge difference between these. It's not accurate enough. Okay, that's really interesting. So, I mean, some of the other challenges uh, that face the location data ecosystem just in the past several months have been challenges around privacy and compliance. It seems to be one of the areas that uh, I think people think of as one of the more sensitive areas of data collection. What's your approach to uh, making sure that you're collecting data and working with data in the most compliant fashion possible? So, I mean, I think you're right. I think look, even pre, for example, GDPR in, in the EU, privacy and, and responsible data collection for location has always been very important. Um, and I think, you know, the permission-based almost Location is almost pre-GDPR across the world always been an opt-in thing. You have to consent as a consumer at some point to give your location data away mm-hmm. before you do it. And that, you know, funny enough, that's like the key thing that GDPR switched was actually moving everything else from an opt-out sort of methodology of, oh, well, I've not said no, so you can use my information to actually have to proactively say, yes, you may. And, you know, I, funny enough, was always, always thought location data has, has kind of always been like that. Funny enough, it's always been forcing you to interact and understand what you're doing. I think I think consumer awareness of what's happening, what what 
is being done with the data is growing quite a bit. I think you're right that that's always been something that's that's high on people's minds. But I think you know apps, a lot of apps are fueled, their economy is fueled by the data or the advertising they're able to generate off the back of consumers using their phones. And I think there's an education piece with um, probably the general public about what it is that they're giving away in exchange for access to free content and to free uh, use of websites that probably still hasn't really been addressed necessarily by the wider you know wider industry, not necessarily by the companies in play. I think we can do our best to promote awareness, but we're not really big enough consumer-facing yeah, players no, to do that. And I think there's probably still a gap to close there, but um, I think it's getting better. I think you're seeing more people talking about it. You're seeing more consumers coming around to understanding it. Does it pose any challenges for you specifically just in the way in which you source the data? So you know, we've spoken to some location data providers uh, that, for instance, have said that they are trying in an iterative fashion to alter the makeup of their supply chain such that they do focus more on that SDK-derived data uh, as opposed to maybe bitstream data where the passive of consent is a little grey. Yeah, I mean, so I think with something as big as... Um, the open marketplace, uh, which is, is I, I can sure you can imagine, difficult to police from an individual level just because it's such a big beast. There are hundreds and thousands of publishers involved. There are uh, dozens and dozens, hundreds of, of technology companies involved. And then there are thousands and thousands of brands as well on the buying side. We've relied very, very heavily on third parties or independent third parties like the IB, like you know, independent consortiums to lead the way and to set standards about what should or shouldn't be done. Not everyone is bought into the IB's framework. You know, Google have done their own thing. Um, Twitter have done their own thing. And they've adopted GDPR and built their own framework around that, which is, I think, what's led to the grey is a lack of absolute single single way of doing it. Almost every company, other than the ones that are buying into it, the IB is one of the biggest, most adopted uh, frameworks and, and largely does offer really solid mechanisms, technically speaking at least, to try and pass consent all the way through from the collection right to usage at the very top end. When everyone doesn't conform to it, it makes it a little bit difficult for, for you and you tend to have to sort of work out, okay, well, we're going to have to accept this particular methodology. And I think the safest thing to do is probably err on the side of caution yeah. um, because, you know, it's the risks are just too high to be, to be not taking it seriously. And I think that... Um, I think that the I think that there is probably still quite a long way to go to make sure that that becomes clear. I think we're not not seeing the end of it. I suspect over the next six, twelve months, we'll see more news and more movement on the regulation side. I, but either way, I am fairly confident in the frameworks. I think desire to make sure that there is a transparent method to to handle consent properly through both an SDK collection or through uh, bitstream ecosystem it sh- we shouldn't just assume that because the bitstream ecosystem is so complicated it can't be done it definitely can be done and consent can be passed and handled responsibly through the players it just has to be adopted and taken seriously across the entire space okay so we've looked a little bit about uh how you guys work uh today what you're currently looking at from a data um quality control perspective what about uh, new product initiatives what is it that you're currently working on what does the future hold mm, that's a good question um, well I mean there are probably two things I think of interest or the two things I think are the most interesting um, one of the first ones is a lot around what you were just talking about around where does data come from is it has it been sourced responsibly um, has it been sourced with consent 
And I think there's a bit of a, despite a lot of people saying all the right things, and there are still questions around trust in the ecosystem, especially from the advertising brand point of view, wanting to be absolutely certain that they are buying data in a, a, a responsibly sourced way. And one of the initiatives that we've been working on, or that we at least prototyped last year and that we're going to be taking further this year, is, is using blockchain technology to try to at least store and then make available what we are doing in a really transparent way to some of our clients. Blockchain is um, a very overused word in some industries, and I think that maybe advertising, ad tech went through that last year where a lot of companies sort of jumped on the bandwagon of yeah, being involved in it. We're um, taking it quite seriously. You know, we're not, we didn't just like dabble in it and then we're going to walk away this year. We're going to evolve and make sure that all of the data segments that we're, that we're building or that we're using through our systems are stored and that they are um, transparent enough where we're getting the, the information from, where the consent is coming through, and that we're providing it in a technology space that is known and renowned for not being uh, you know, transmittable, for being completely secure and being being safe. And of, of course, I'd say a client or two will have to evolve and also start using blockchain technology to try and use it to its best intent. But it's an exciting initiative. It's using, um, you know, it's using blockchain in a way that I don't think it's really been used. We're not we're not trying to apply blockchain to the buying ecosystem, so to speak. We're not trying to do it from a sort of financial perspective, because I think some of the other players in the market are doing that. We're looking at it from a, a data provenance perspective, which is where did the data come from and who's using it. Because you know, you might ask me from your side, I've got plenty of questions about how the data was sourced. The publishers, on the other hand, have plenty of questions about where that data then went. Mm -hmm. Who'd, whose hands did it end up in and who bought it? Who was it valuable for? And they would love to have more transparency on, on the brands that actually interacting using that that information yeah, for really value. so that you know it's almost a two-way problem and something like blockchain is sitting in the middle and companies like us that sit in the middle have an opportunity to try and help both parties so you know that's an initiative that this year is going to be important for us and i think secondly is probably the the analytics side of the business uh, the inside the analytics the trends piece which is we've sort of really evolved over the last couple of years to understand like that example I was giving you that location is much more than just what's happening in the here and now it's mm -hmm. about looking over you know a month two months even a year and looking for what's happening over time and you know what does what's what people physically how are their movements changing what does that mean and and not just you know selling media or data but actually trying to talk to our clients using insight trying to help the brand understand that maybe they should consider opening a new store here because the data that we're seeing around other competitive stores suggests there's a gap in the market for them yeah uh you know can't off the top of my head think of an example maybe something like an ikea maybe we can help them understand you know from one particular store what other competitor sets are ikea shoppers going to at the same sort of time when they're doing their ikea consideration phase mm -hmm. maybe it's john lewis maybe it's tk maxx who knows it might be you know completely varied but where we see those behaviours happening, we can find areas where there are no IKEAs where we can sort of say, well, we think you guys are missing an opportunity because here's a cluster of stores who are heavily competitive with you and you guys are missing a, a spot. So it's almost using that data to start thinking about well, how can we help brands from a different perspective, not just with their marketing, but with their actually enterprise business level decisions. We used to think about that. Um, I remember a pitch that um, I took part in once and we were trying to, it, it was a little bit, off the cuff, but we were trying to suggest to uh, a retailer that had a lot of uh, physical stores that uh, we could help them to identify the next best uh, area for a physical store, not based at that point on um, location signals and, and consumer uh, pattern 
patterns of movement as much as uh, just understanding when media was being booked and when media was being delivered. And so if you had uh, radio campaigns that were running across certain areas and TV campaigns that were running across certain areas and you had a, a physical store that was going to sit a mile outside of that coverage or a mile inside of that coverage, then you know, presumably you'd want to benefit from the fact that you were going to be advertising in that location. So it's interesting uh, to hear you talk about that because it seems like that was probably uh, five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a quite natural evolution of the way in which I think we think about the data that we have access to, the insights that we can apply uh, to certain scenarios. Uh, it's just it's just an interesting, you know, anecdote. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I um, we've got there are people at Bliss who specialise in insight, and they've started talking a lot about how ultimately all you can get from the system and the data. The data can only tell you. It essentially gives you observations, so it's a pattern observations of what's going on, and it's up to humans to to ask the right questions. It's up to us to, to sort of go, well, actually, I want to chop and change it in a way that's that's different, and then I want to try and understand the implications of what that data, the change in that data over time is meaning. And, you know, I think that's the bit that's so interesting for me is it's not just about here's the data. You know, it's it's black and white. It's, it's open to interpretation. It takes a human with an inquisitive mind to, to challenge it and to look at it and there are different interpretations you can take from different subsets of movement data and you, you know you can you can only do your best but I find that bit really interesting because I find that bit a little bit more a bit more creative I suppose it's different to to I think it's evolved into a slightly more yeah. uh, holistic view of what is that what could that, those patterns mean over time and do you see a lot of people now um, connecting different data sets using location as a base but then thinking about how that ties in with mm. how it ties in potentially with desktop behavior and, and other types of uh, exposure to media or whatever yeah I mean definitely a huge desire to do it um, not necessarily location as the base more the mobile I think the mobile device is the base uh, and location it sort of comes as part of that I mean there are there, there are brands that want to be able to I mean you know, really understand the return on investment that they get for all of their media spend, whether it's TV, print, digital, etc. You know, there are businesses that really want to, you know, a company like um, anyone, a, a Starbucks on the street, you can't buy a Starbucks on your phone, you know, for them physically retailing what's happening in their stores is absolutely critical to them, you know, in terms of success or not success as a business. And I think retailers like that are more likely to lean on location being the absolute center point because for them that, that's like the trigger of, oh, we've seen someone come into a store what did we expose them to in the outside world in terms of TV, print, out home, media, and then which combination of that advertising actually worked. That's the holy grail for them to connect it all. And so we are seeing some companies going down that path or, or keen to go down that path. Technically, it's not it's not an easy problem to solve. Otherwise, we would probably already done it. Um, but I think it's getting closer. I think it's getting a little bit more exciting. And I think we're seeing some initiatives start really connecting up the dots and being able to provide genuinely insightful or genuinely meaningful ROI on a much more macro level for a, for a brand. Yeah, it certainly seems like one of the potential opportunities um, and potential paths to actually start to understand that omni-channel uh, journey, that exposure. You know, something that we were always uh, playing around with was the idea that you could potentially look at outlying sites and think about how people were traversing through those different sites, how they were being exposed to out-of-home media, which is usually one of those media categories that's written off as just being mass, mass, yeah. mass awareness and, and not necessarily attributable 
Um, so that's really interesting. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for coming in. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you.